heavy like judgment thing on you or us. It's like, he's speaking to the heart here, right? He's like, I don't want you just to sing about my love or, or my justice or my righteousness or to me or um, about me, but I want, I want you to be the song. I want you to live, live that stuff, right? And there's another passage in Revelation um, where John is taken up to, into heaven and he sees like the throne room and there's a river coming out of the throne of Jesus and I'd like to draw a parallel. I don't know if, if this is true or not, but I would like to draw a parallel between, um, between that river of righteousness and the river of the throne of Jesus. Um, that as we behold Him, as we, we seek Him, we follow Him, we get caught up in that river of righteousness. Because it's not, it's not a prerequisite. God's not like, be righteous and, and you can talk to me. He's like, come to me. And in the coming, we, we, we enter into the, the righteousness, right? So this is, this is a song we've sung before many times in the river. I come alive in the river. But I think, I mean, for me, I've taken it for granted. Um, and I've just, sung, I've just sung words, you know? But let's not just sing words. Right? So, God, I ask that you'd, um, you'd stir us to, to live out our song, to, to live out our response to you, to, to behold you and seek you so regularly and consistently that we get caught in your river of righteousness, that we can't help but pursue you and, and manifest the fruit of your kingdom. Spring up a well, spring up a well, spring up a well in me, yeah. Spring up a well, spring up a well, spring up a well in Let it stir us all. Spring up a well, spring up a well, spring up a well in me. The river of righteous living.
identity is the characteristics determining who or what a person or thing is. 
So finding our identity can be a long journey, getting to know who we are, growing to like who we are, and accepting who others are. And I think we can spend an awful amount of time being consumed with trying to find out and accept our identity. So I wanted to explore what our identity has to do with the cross. What difference does the life-changing sacrifice Jesus made for us make to how we see and understand who we are? Does it help us to get a better insight of who God has created us to be? The purpose He has for our lives, does it help us accept more easily the quirks that we know we have? So if we go to Luke, 22, Luke 9, 22 to 25, it says, The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, He said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? So I read another perspective of this and it said, your old way of having an identity, of gaining a sense of self has got to end. In a sense, you have to die to it. And I can give you a whole new identity. You'll get a whole new true self. See, I think in finding ourselves and our focus on discovering our identity, who we are, we lose sight of what really matters. Jesus didn't die on the cross simply so we could be forgiven for our sins and go to heaven. John 10.10 says, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them, us, a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. See, Jesus wants us to have a full life, and I don't believe that we can have the life he desires for us if our focus is on ourselves. If our focus shifts onto glorifying God, who Jesus is, and living with Holy Spirit and listening to Him, then I believe our purpose and identity will become clearer. We'll be able to more easily discern what the truth is and what isn't the truth. I believe that when we are in relationship with God, surrendered to Him every day, losing our own perception of what our life and identity should be, that we truly find out who we are. When we lay down our own expectations, take up an authentic relationship with God, He leads us into who He's created us to be, the plans He has for us that will be more amazing, more incredible and more fulfilling than we could ever imagine. Is this easy? Nope. Is this always going to be feeling amazing? Not at all. And is it a journey speckled with hard times and challenges? It sure is. But I would rather do life with Jesus by my side and His strength helping me than be on my own trying to figure life out. Without Jesus' sacrifice and the relationship with God He leads us to, I would be on my own, struggling fruitlessly to find out who I am. But because of Jesus, I can put aside my own perceptions of my identity and take up who God says that I am. The life, purpose and identity that He gives me and every single one of us. It's at the point of the cross where Jesus gave his life for you and me that we can discover who he is and who we are. So I'm just going to pray and then I invite you to take your communion after I've finished. Father God, 
Thank you that you have a much better plan for my life, for our lives and who we are than we do. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life, for dying on the cross, because you chose us. Thank you that through you, through your sacrifice, I don't have to scramble for my identity and meaning and that in surrendering my life to you, I find out who I really am. Help us to remember each day who you are, to live to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. Holy Spirit of God, we love you. 
And I stand here at your beck and call this evening, Lord, and we declare that you are the one who speaks the word of power. You speak and the universe is created from nothing. You spoke, Lord, to a prophet in a valley and he saw bones come together and life start to come together and we know that you are the Lord of life. Lord, we pray that heaven would come this evening, that your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, as our pastor has called us, Lord, and encouraged us, Lord, to wherever and whenever, to be like your son, Jesus. Lord, in accordance with your word, with the fact that you are Lord, we acknowledge that yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. And yet there have been those in our lives that we have sought to give glory and who have had power over us and they've spoken words and they've been forced into the foundations of our lives, but their lies These precious people here this evening, Lord, we have stood here and there are lies, Lord, that we have taken hold of. In accordance with your word around communion, Lord, that our identity is built on who you say we are and not who the lying voices around us say. And so, Lord, in accordance with your word, I pray for my brothers and sisters this evening that as you crack open the foundations of our heart and being, that you would bring these words that have been spoken over these precious lives. Lies, untruths, spoken by hurt people and broken people. Useless, stupid, no good, soft, weak. Words like these, Lord, let them fall to the ground and waste away, I pray in Jesus' Name. And I ask, Lord, that in this place, Lord, set apart and consecrated by your Spirit this evening, that your word of creation would come into the hearts of your children and that heaven would come, that your kingdom would come and that you would reign in our hearts this evening, Lord. I believe, church, that this evening, mysteriously, supernaturally, God is at work in our lives. And there are things that are going to fall away, things that have shackled us and held us back. The power of words. But He is without equal. He is without comparison. And He is the one who holds the King, the power and the glory. No huki tirangatiratanga te kaha mete kororia, ake, 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 forever and ever. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to you this evening. We worship you. As we've been encouraged around the communion table, we come to you and we look to you and we declare that you are Lord and we praise you and worship you. Lord, we pray that your word would flood us and we would know who we are in light of what you say. Deafen our ears, Lord, to the lies and the voices around us that would drag us from the righteous path and help us to take our place as men and women of God of conviction, strength and passion that we would be able to walk and let justice flow like a river and righteousness flow like a never-ending stream that we wouldn't take part in ceremonies of noise, Lord but that our actions would flow from a heart of love Lord, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name
I'd like to create an opportunity to respond to Simon's prayer, actually. And we're not going to draw it out, so you're going to have to move quickly. But if you know you're carrying words that have been spoken over you, I would like you to treat this as an altar. An altar is where God alters you. That's it. And as we sing this chorus through one more time, why don't you come out and literally just put the words on the altar and leave them there. Leave them there. You want to sing that? Thanks. Come out of your seats. If you know you're carrying words that have been spoken over you, that have a grip over you, just come and do that quickly. Leave for a miracle as you do it. Elders here at Activate Church. Tonight he's going to share a word with us. It's going to be fantastic. How about we give him a big hand as he comes? Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks, Simon. Where, where you are now? I think. Um, oh, there he is at the back there. This year we've been um, talking about one th- over sort of overarching theme, which is which is purposed. The idea about being intentional and knowing what we're about. And uh, I actually asked for uh, to speak tonight quite a while ago with a completely different thing bubbling away. I had a um, something which still is, I'm passionate about and I'm still digging through and unpacking and all the rest of it and I, hopefully this doesn't go pear-shaped and I'll never get asked back. But um, tonight, uh, sort of a week out, I, I really felt a change of um, subject and some of that is around uh, what I was th- th- thought I wanted to talk about sort of needs something to underpin it and send it underneath it to to ask the type of questions that maybe I wanted to ask and, and look at some of the directions I wanted to look in. So, can I start off just with a disclaimer? Um, I have a, uh, a tendency to tangent. Um, 
not intentionally, but you know, you, you just get excited about something and something pops into your mind and off you go and suddenly the 25 minute mark's rolling around. So if I do that, I apologise ahead of time. I also um, can get excited and uh, be unintentionally abrasive sometimes in some of the ways I'll say things. So if you're offended by anything I say, I'm going to pre-apologise to say I wasn't meaning to offend you or upset you. Uh, maybe my, my little terminology was a little bit rough or something like that. So with that bit of grace established, are we all good with that? Cool. If you're not, there's a door. No. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll just pray before we start. Lord, I pray that whatever I say tonight um, and amongst the, the timisms and everything else that comes out of my mouth, Lord, that your, your intended word will, will find its home, Lord, will, will find its place in people's hearts, Lord, it will plant the seed that you want to, that what you would have people hear, they will hear, and forgive me the rest. Amen. Um, what, I, what I felt about purpose and where I sort of landed when I started packing this together was um, one of the uh, things I think we need to establish in order to be purposed is is to get an identity. It's interesting that Jim's brought that up in her uh, communion message because if, if, we, if we don't know who we are, which is our identity, and who God is, which is his identity, and what he's called us to, it's really difficult. No, in fact, I'll scratch that. It's impossible to be purposed as a Christian because there are fundamental things missing that enable us to discover this purpose. I... Um, I mean, I've, I've been in church a long time, and I've seen plenty of sermons around rush to the front and, you know, and find the purpose of God for your life and the call of God for your life and what you should be doing. And when I was a student, that was a pretty big thing and probably relevant to me at the time because you're all sitting there at university or whatever thinking, what the heck am I going to do with a social sciences degree or something like that, or we're still a BA. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and, there's, and there's that bit, yeah, that was the abrasion part, you know, you go there, we can sweet. Um, and there was a bit there about, man, if God just pops this stuff into my head, I'll be sweet. I can forget about trying to discover this stuff because it's all laid out for me. And you'd look at these dudes in their, you know, 21, 22, and they were off to conquer the world or move to Africa or start a business or whatever. And it kind of felt like um, they'd heard something about their purpose that I hadn't and the people around me hadn't. And there was this sort of gap between maybe what God's doing for them and God's doing for me. And uh, that was kind of the dialogue of the 90s. Okay, the really early 90s. Okay, the 80s. Okay. It um, was, was kind of about um, when you're in the will of God, when you're, you're achieving your purposes in God, you'll know all this sort of stuff. It'll just pop into your head and off you go. Um, so purpose was kind of painted around this idea of getting out there and doing something, you know, and being somewhere and being in a position and achieving stuff and, and doing the work of God. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest that that's, that's not purposed so much as just the thing you do when you know who you are and out of your identity in Christ and out of your identity in God and understanding what he's actually trying to achieve here on earth through us and with us, that's, that stuff's just the stuff you do once you know what that is. Is, is that a, an okay statement to make? The idea that the work you do is not the purpose. The purpose is the, the ideal behind it, and then there will be an outpouring of, of something that comes at the other end. What I'm going to suggest is that all of this comes back to one thing, and that's understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, 
What I mean by that is uh, all of us, well, most of us, I think, if you're a believer here and you've had walk with Christ for more than 10 seconds, there's been a time somewhere where you made a decision to not live in the world but to live in the kingdom of God. There was a time there where you made a decision for some reason and under some circumstance to give up control of, of where you're going to Almighty God because something he did for you or something he showed you created a revelation point. Is that an okay statement to make? Um, one of the issues I think we can have out of that is where that becomes the, the big brick in our faith. So why are you a Christian? Five minutes after you become it, you say, well, because this is where I was in the pit of despair and I had no hope and I wasn't intending to, but something happened and God stepped down in there and pulled me up, put something underneath me and allowed me to stand again, gave me back my dignity, gave me back my uh, ability to stand straight, gave, took away my shame, my guilt, whatever it happens to be. There's a significant thing there that we can stand on. And that's an awesome thing, and that is definitely a, a brick or a part of our foundation of our faith. But I, I want to suggest to you, for those of you who have walked with God for a long time, um, and I'm actually just about hitting 30 years as a Christian. Um, I know, it's amazing, because I don't turn 30 until next year. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's right, humble as well. Um, if, if those things are the, the big bricks in your faith, there's a time down the track where they don't seem quite so sharp and real. They don't seem quite so poignant. They don't have the same hold and power that they had for you five minutes after it happened. Can I suggest your, your thankfulness sort of wanes over time? And so what happens is we sort of enter a, a process with our Christian walk where it kind of sine waves. It goes you know, up and down. The good times are great, and thank you, God, you're amazing. The bad times suck, God, where are you? Why aren't you digging me out of my hole? The good times come along, and yeah, God, you're awesome. And we have this process of, of ups and downs in our Christian walk. I'm going to make a controversial statement here and say I don't believe that that's God's intention um, for Christians to have sine waves in our relationship with them. What I mean by that is your life's still going to have those. You're still going to have circumstances where life's up. You're still going to have circumstances where life is awful. But God's intention is that our relationship with him and our platform and our foundation continues solidly. So where I'm leading this to is if you shackle your gratitude wagon to the cool thing God did for you and not to the gospel, which is actually... Uh, the cool thing God did to you is an outpouring and an outcome of the gospel, but the gospel is something different that we're going to unpack in a sec. Then what happens is your circumstances dictate your perceptions of what, uh, what God's love is for you, how worthy you are, whether you need to be happy or sad. All that sort of stuff um, is attached to your circumstances because sadly they are going to go up and down. And anyone who's more than a minute old is going to run into some bad times. And some of you have had some awful things happen in your life. I want to read you briefly... Um, from Psalm 86. This is a prayer of David. Now, um, the Bible doesn't have a, a large title at the top with 74 words giving a, brief, a detailed description of when and where David wrote this, but I'm going to suggest that it was probably in the time or reflecting on the time when he was running for his life with Saul's men after him, hiding in a cave, uh, expecting to be killed at any moment. It's not a long one, so bear with me. Bow, bow down thine ear, O Jehovah, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am godly. O thou, my, Lord, my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. You can see I like the ASV. From, um, oh, where are we? Be merciful unto, unto me, O Lord, for the, unto thee do I cry all the day long. Rejoice the soul of thy servant. For unto thee, O Lord, do I lift my soul, for thou 
Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness unto all of them who call upon thee. I'm just going to skip down a little bit here. I will praise thee, O God, O Lord, o Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. For thou, so thou art great as thou loving kindness towards me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest shell. O God, the proud have risen up against me, and a company of violent men have sought after my soul, and have not uh, set thee before them. But Lord, thou art God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. O turn unto me, and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant, and save the son of thy handmaid. Show me a token for good, that they who hate me may see it, and be put to shame, because thou, Jehovah, has helped me and comforted me. What stuck out um, to me in this psalm when I was looking at it is David's in, the, in one of the crappiest times of his life. Okay? He's, he's actually fearing for his life. He's lost everything. Friends and family are separated from him. Even, to a great extent, the people who, who were his men had been whittled down. And in the midst of that, he, he's calling out to God for help and mercy because in our, in our low times we need that. But nowhere in the, in the psalm does he turn there and go, you've abandoned me, God. Nowhere in the psalm does he say, I thought you loved me. Nowhere in the psalm does he say, what's all this talk about, almighty God, I don't see you work in my circumstances. What he says is, this is you, God. You, you are almighty. You are great. Your love and, love and kindness persists forever. You, you can have mercy on me, and you'll choose to do that one way or the other, but that will not alter my view of you. I'm, I'm in my lowest point, yet you are God. When I'm sitting on the throne and I'm king of Israel, when everything is before me, yet you are God. And so there's a, there's a faith sort of shown there, which is probably a really good reason why David is, um, it's called you know, the man after God's own heart, that says, my circumstances don't dictate my understanding of who you are. I have a foundation that has been built into me from a little kid in a relationship that he's journeyed through all his life with God that says, despite what happens to me, I understand who you are. I'm going to suggest to you that that's what the gospel starts with. Um, let me just find my little page here now. So I'm going to ask the question, what is the gospel? What is this good news? I mean, we're, Matthew, the Great Commission calls us to go into all the world and preach the good news of the gospel to all men to make disciples, to teach people what he's taught us, to lead them, and lead them in his ways. I, I wonder if our, our gospel is that cool thing God did for us, and only that, uh, whether we've got a limited gospel, we can teach to other people. And what happens when they come to us in our bad times, when, when our circumstances make us feel like God isn't on our side, isn't for us, isn't blessing us, what's the gospel we have to give then? One of, the, um, one of the important things to get our head around, I think, is, well, I'm certain, is uh, understanding that when we were sinners, yet sinners, long before we cared about who God was, when we were still enemies of God, effectively, yet he sent his son to die for us on the cross. So he took everything we ever did, everything we will be doing now, everything you'll do tomorrow, and was crucified with that to take the punishment and the blame of that away, that you can be reconciled to him and saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when, when that is more than just a nice little pithy sentence and reduces down to something that we start carrying in our hearts, it starts answering questions we're all going to ask, like, how can God love me in the midst of this horrible situation I'm in? How can God love me when I'm doing these stupid things that I know I shouldn't do? How can God love me when I've got all these problems 
that I'm, I'm facing? How can God love me when life is going bad and he doesn't look like he is because he's not taking them all away? When, when that big brick in our faith starts to become, yet when I was a sinner, he sent his son to die on my behalf so that I may receive justification and righteousness through his act. And that becomes brick number one. It takes away the circumstances out of the discussion because that's still occurred. Even when you're having a bad day or you're having a great day, this single thing that God did to reconcile us to him has occurred. So one of the, um, one of the revelations that we're going we're gonna to push into at the end of this is those of us who don't, have a, who don't have that revelation yet or a very clear one or need more of it, is, is to, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a, a bit of space at the end of this to uh, maybe respond to that because I think um, a growing revelation of what Jesus has actually done for us already, not what it's changing, the more we internalize that, the easier it is to continue a faith journey in the midst of a very seesaw life. Um, so, what, I mean, what does this look like, I guess? So, some of that is just is spending some time, spending some time reading your Bible, spending some time. Digging into, because the gospel honestly is a is a, a year long series of sermons running to an hour and a half each night. It's it's an incredible, massive thing. You know there is no end to really what the gospel expands to when you start applying it to life and circumstance. Where we can start though is have that that part of us that says, you know, I want to know more about this God. It's going to start with a conversation where we spend more time in prayer with Him. We spend time that doesn't require a group like this, a band like that a small group like the small group you maybe belong to in order for you to come into a place where you start to talk to God. So there's, there's a scary time where you're going to sit there in, in your own room, in your own circumstance, in your car while you drive, wherever it happens to be, and start this conversation. That, that's all prayer is, ultimately, is a conversation of coming before the face of God and starting a conversation and being willing to listen. So some of that requires you know, some confidence. God, how do I talk to God? And part of that is, is that process of pushing forward. So as you push into other guys around you, people you look up to as mentors, people who are leaders maybe, people who are uh, spending extensive amounts of their lives, the theologians and, and those who chase doctrine among us, they're here for a purpose. They're here to not only benefit themselves, but the benefit you guys, benefit me, benefit the family that they, they have around them by bringing insight and, and wisdom that we maybe we don't have. But sometimes I think there can be a... Um, a fear to ask. And if anyone's ever had those really hard questions you want to ask about faith, especially when you're a young Christian or maybe you're a, a young person, even if you've been a Christian for a while, and you kind of don't know how to bring them up or who you could bring them up with, there's this idea you'll get a pushback or a backlash from especially leadership, you know, who'll look upon you like you're, you're ready to be leaving the church or something. You know, th- these hard questions I'm talking about, why do good things happen to bad people? Why does God hate gays? You know, things like this, you know, these these. I mean, they sound like stupid questions, I know, and they don't sound like they hold water if you walk with Christ, but there are, there are these questions that people can't with comfort ask. And I want to suggest to you that uh, regardless what you feel about this place, I can only speak about this place, but regardless what you feel about this place, there are people who want to at least help you answer those questions. They want to respond to questions and answers uh, with answers, or if not answers, suggestions about where you can start to unpack it for yourself. I want to point out Pastor Simon over there, who uh, you know, came forward and brought that great prophecy. Pastor Simon a, is a theologian. He has a, a master's and well onto his way with a doctorate in, in theology. And one of the functions um, that he has that, uh, that we can make use of 
is exactly that, unpacking the gospel. What does it mean? What's going on? What is God saying this? What are the, what are the ramifications and the different angles? What are people saying in the world of Christianity about this thing? How can I gain some more knowledge? He might just point you to a book. He might suggest where you can start reading in the, in the Bible for something. For you guys in youth, uh, Ben Ong's exactly the same. He's gone through an a extensive process in his own life of chasing after, and he's just coming through his master's now. You've got guys around you who have these. Our leaders, so obviously our pastors, Jan Sheridan, Pastor Ray, me. Um, any, anybody, anybody in a leadership position of any sort, one of the functions or the primary functions keeps on coming back to the Great Commission. What are we here for? We're here for a whole bunch of things. We're here to run a church, blah, blah, blah. We're here to preach the gospel of good news to all men. We're here to make disciples and, and establish strengthen people so they don't remain babies and they live Sunday to Sunday. And the only reason they get through the next week is because enough happened here with enough good vibes that you can sort of peter out about Wednesday and then hold out for Sunday. That's not what the, the function of, of, a, of a church is. It shouldn't be. It's, it's not about maintaining a nursery and, and handing out the, the happy milk each Sunday. It's about encouraging you guys to, um, and me, you know, so I'm not, not being exclusive here, I'm very much part of this process, of, of chasing after maturity and saying to yourselves and, and myself, ourselves, I want more, I need more. I mean, I, 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 I was talking this through with a few people over the weekend. I, I, wonder, um, I wonder whether people's reluctance sometimes to share the gospel is not all about I'm ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is kind of the stuff that you feel if you've hung around too many sermons over your life, and I've seen an awful lot of them. I wonder whether some of the, if not a lot of the reluctance to share the gospel of Jesus Christ is a personal lack of understanding of what that actually is, and therefore the fear that we're going to misrepresent God because we say a dumb thing, or maybe we don't quite know how to answer the hard questions that someone might ask, so we withdraw from a, a situation where we get a chance, God's opened the door for us to go in and maybe share about him, and we pull back from that out of fear about what if we fluff it up? What if this is the only chance, you know, the old sort of predestination argument, what if this is the only point in the entire existence that God's going to have a chance and you stuffed it up? I, I'm, I'm all for the, um, for the line which says, you know, you, you've got someone who needs to know about Christ, bring them to church, but this is a great place to bring people into Get them into the environment. But you need to desire, if you're not already there, to not even have that cross your radar because you're in the position to respond to their queries about God. You need to actively chase. It's, it's not, this is not a guilt trip to say you should be there. You know, maybe if you've been 25 years into Christian journey and you're still sitting here living Sunday to Sunday with no idea how to answer what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, maybe it is a problem. But Regardless, where you are today to where you are tomorrow, it should be a desire of ours, something we chase after to fill in those gaps and fill in those blanks. I mean, let me put it to you this way. If you meet the most amazing person in the world and fall in love, you are not going to be satisfied to do life with them for the rest of your life going, I'm not sure what the middle name is, and I've never met the parents, and I've no idea what they, where they went to school or who their friends are, but aren't they wonderful? I mean, I'm being a little bit facetious here. There's a bit there when we enter a relationship with somebody that what we want is more. We want to know more. We want to understand them more. We seek and desire that and we chase after it. We use every opportunity, especially in the early days. We ask questions. We watch what they do. We, we spend time with them. We, we try and build this, this bridge to a point where when you're out and, about, out and about in 20 years' time, I've been married 20 years this year to Andrea. 
No, it's still 20 years till the end of the year. I'm pretty sure it was 1996 September that would make it 20 years right now. Um, if, someone, if someone wanders up to me, if someone wanders up to me in the street and was to say, oh, I know all about, about that, Andrea, you know, I read a book and a couple of people had done an interview with her and I watched that on TV and uh, let me tell you, she's this person. I can just say, well, that's correct, that's not. You know how I know? Because I have a relationship and I understand her and I've journeyed with her and I've walked with her and I've seen the good times and I've seen the bad. You, you don't actually, from subject, you get to tell me who Andrea is because I know, I know who she is. And this is the desire of God with his relationship with us that you talk about, I mean, the, the, this whole shack thing's been an interesting thing, hasn't it? You know, the people, only people losing their minds are the Christians. But I, I want to, regardless what, regardless what side of this grand divide argument that seems to be going on you are, can I suggest to you, if you know Christ, if you know God and you know the heart of God, it's, it's not really a discussion. There'll be stuff in there that is fiction. There'll be stuff in there that doesn't line up with where you think. And there'll be a swathe in there. You go, yeah, I, the God I know looks like that. The God of love that I know looks like that. And the heart of God that I've experienced looks like that. Or there might be a bit in there where you go, that lines up with what I know of God. Um, but, mm, but you can't do that if you've got no idea. If, you, if your entire theology, if your entire understanding of who God is and what he's done for you has been delivered over the top of this piece of plastic... Um, you're, you're very limited. You've got 20 minutes of understanding of God maybe per week unless you had something better to do last Sunday and then maybe you're down one. And if, 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 that, if that's where it ends up, you, you have a very limited relationship. And I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt and shame you here. What I'm trying to uh, make a point of is somewhere along the journey, you stop being a baby and you stop waiting for mum to pick you up out of the cot and pop a bottle of milk in your mouth. And somewhere along the, on the, the journey, you make the decision to get out of bed yourself and go make breakfast. Somewhere along the, the, the journey, you decide maybe you'll take yourself to the toilet. Okay. Some, somewhere along the journey, you stop going to school because the law requires you and you make a decision to go and get an apprenticeship or go to university or tech or whatever you do. Somewhere along the, the journey of life, you decide you want more and you're in charge here. None of you, when you were eight years old, sat around going, you know what, this is awesome. I think I'll stay eight the rest of my life. No, you wanted to be the nine-year-old. When you were nine, you wanted to be the one going to intermediate. When you were 12 years old, you couldn't wait till you were the guy or well, the girl at high school because then you were, you know, you're growing up. When you were at high school, you couldn't wait to leave because now you're an adult and you can go to a casino or whatever. I don't know. Um, <laughs> What I'm trying to paint a picture to you here, though, is in life we desire, to desire more. We desire to grow and understand more and be more mature. But I think that gets lost sometimes in our faith journey. And yet that is a, a direct reflection of what um, a walk with Christ uh, should look like as well. So obviously, seek him first individually foremost and often. That's prayer. That's spending time with him. That's spending time in the Bible. That's spending time reading. That might be involved po podcasts for you. It might involve, I don't know, unpacking the... Martin Lloyd-Jones plethora of stuff on Amazon and, and boggling it as English accent, whatever. There, there's a thing you're making a decision to invest with yourself. Obviously, places like this, you come in and you fellowship with the saints. You have, a, you know, have more than just one believer around you and you get to participate in an environment where Jesus is present, you know, where two or more are gathered. There I am also. 
We get to raise his name on high and you get to be carried along in your hard times and your low times by the faith of others and the environment that's created by believers collecting together. But if that's what you live in day in, day out and forever, you've got a corporate relationship with God, not an individual one. If, if the thing that gets you from A to B is getting back in the presence of other believers and it's the only thing that gets you from A to B, there's some gaps there that God wants to close with you because he wants a personal relationship with you. If, uh, I mean, the, the illustration I've used previously is if I were to pick you up, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and stick you in Outer Mongolia by yourself for a year, what, what went with you? Whatever arrived there with you, with your church back home, with your family back home, with your friends back home, with your extensive library of strong concordances left back home, whatever turned up in Outer Mongolia with you is actually what you carry. Everything else was someone else's. So the desire to pack more in there and create a, a greater intimacy with God is the only thing that is going to get you through a long haul with God because you're not going to have the bubble to live in all your life. And I'm sure some of you have gone through times where you go, man, this is, this is just too hard. And I'm going to suggest to you that the solution keeps on coming back to the gospel, understanding what Jesus has done for us, pouring that in our foundation over and over again. He's died for my sins. He's, he's taken my place. He's created a way through him that I can actually have dialogue with God. And by doing that, I can come into the throne room of God. You don't enter the throne room of God, and, and theologians don't throw, throw things in, anything at me if I'm veering here. But you don't enter the throne room of God under your own righteousness. You enter under the veneer of Jesus' righteousness and what he's done. So when God's looking upon us, through faith in Christ, he's seeing his son. He's seeing the righteousness that God had, Jesus has, that he's gifted to us because he chose to take our place. So nothing you do, no matter work you undertake, is ever going to get you to a point where you're going to have that on your own. May as well give up. Not give up the good works. Not give up what you strive to do in the name of God, but give up if the purpose of doing that is because you're trying to make yourself holy. It's not going to happen. So understanding that, this coming back to faith 101, coming back to that, that core thing. School of the Spirit's another classic example. There's something that the church is popping, uh, putting on for, the, for us, for the congregation here, because we are trying to equip the saints. We're trying to develop disciples. But we're not, you're not disciples of Sheridan. You're not disciples of Ray. You're not disciples of Tim. You're disciples of Jesus. And so everything that, uh, uh, that is presented to you is so that you can know him more. Um, what that does say is this, this is not the church of Sheridan. This is not the church of Ray. This is not the church of Jan. It's not even my church, even though it looks currently like it is because I'm holding the microphone. It's the, it's the church of Jesus Christ. And, and everything that happens here should point to him. And the things that don't, just accept the fact that we're humans. You know, we're going to sit here and we're going to reprocess everything as people. And it's going to have a culture that reflects the person holding the microphone. It doesn't mean that's all of Jesus, yet the kingdom of God is all of him. So weighing that up and balancing that. And how do you do that? You, can, you know him more. You know him um, more closely. You ask questions and you get answers. You, you seek his face. You spend time in the word. You walk with him over a long period of time. And then you're in the position to actually make, your call, make the call on things when they pop up in your life and you don't know what, why or what. You've got some foundation to go back to and go, in light of what I know, what does this look like? Is that okay to say? So why, why it's important, I'm just wrapping up because I can see the times charging away. Why, um, why it's important to hear the word, to speak the word, to seek other people, to read the word, uh, probably comes just back simply down to Romans 10, uh, 17, which is you know, a condensed version. Faith comes from hearing the message and hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're not hearing that and you're not re-immersing yourself, you're not sort of reprocessing and giving that a polish and adding to it and building it and getting more foundation there and greater understanding. So 
this is a thing that is your entire life. I remember um, uh, I've, I've done, um, well, I started doing Taekwondo when I was quite young. I've done it most of my life. And I remember talking to um, a, a seven-dan master we had from Korea. And, you know, you'd get, the, you'd get the cool guys and you want them to show you the cool things, you know, so you get them up there. And he made us do 45 minutes of, of the most basic drudgery that you make white belts do on day one of coming into a class. And I talked to him afterwards and, and I said, oh, you know, we could, we could probably have done that ourselves so we didn't really need a seventh dan to come in and, and teach us that stuff. And he goes, even the ninth dan's in Kukuwon, which is the national headquarters, this is what they do an hour every day. They revisit the basics, they re-internalise all this sort of stuff. And, and I remember walking away and having that little God moment, I guess, was saying, actually, this is the foundation of our faith too. Reminding ourselves, what has he done for us? What are we grateful for? What are we, what are we, what are we thankful for? And what does grace look like? Okay, I'm just going to wrap um, there because I've got another 74 minutes worth of stuff to speak to. But I just want to make a time, uh, and I'll get the band to make their way on if they could, and I'll just provide some background of some sort. I just want to make a little bit of time for, um, for anybody who, who needs something more in their revelation bank to get them from where they are to where they need to go. It might be that you need a new revelation. Who you are, God, what have you done for me? Remind me again. Bring a, a clearer picture of what your, your grace for me looks like. It might be you need to expand the revelation you've got because at the moment you're struggling to make that enough for you to proceed and persevere. It may be that you need a revelation. And it's better to know that you need a revelation than pretend you don't and persist in a, a faith that is uh, your family's faith or a cultural faith that you ended up in. A revela- you need a revelation to have your own faith. Without a revelation of who God is, you'll never understand how he's pure and mighty and how we are slugs. You will not understand that. I can't talk you through that. There's no logical argument that's going to get you there. There needs to be a revelation from the Holy Spirit to say who I am and who you are. And from that, we, we build faith because that's what we, our heart responds to and that's why we love him. It's because we understand that or to, to a certain degree, all of us. So if you feel that's you, I'll invite you, which I'm going to get this out of the way and the band will start some, something in the background. I'd invite you to come and find some space in here. And yes, there will be some people who will wander around and, and love to pray with you. But if you're standing next to a fellow believer up here after Revelation, pray for each other. One of the reasons the, the, the saints collect together here is not to listen to the man and his four appointed disciples. It's for the, for the believers to congregate together and, and and lift each other up and stand with each other and be a family. And so if you're standing next to someone who's come up for prayer, I hope there's more than two because it'd be rather lonely otherwise, pray for each other. Take the opportunity to say, hey, can I pray for, pray for you in your place of seeking revelation? Could you pray for me and mine? And use that just as an opportunity to not only seek what you need, but also assist your brothers and sisters. Is that okay? Cool, I'll get out of the way and I'll leave it to Aaron. But thanks for listening.
But I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night, and you tell that you are pleased in that I'm never alone. Sing, I've heard. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of why they all think you're alive, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell that you're pleased in that I'm Never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Sing, I've seen.
there's a great opportunity right now for us to respond. It was interesting, Pastor Ray spoke this morning about our posture and the fact that our posture, when we're sitting up straight, but it actually makes you feel better. It's also the same when you know that when you sit up straight in a classroom, you retain more in your mind. You actually hear more of what's been said. They've proven it scientifically. And I think there's something about our posture sometimes of coming before God, which I think we need to get out of our seats. We actually need to move. There's this sense of entitlement almost in society today that everything will be done for us. Well, here's the deal. Jesus has already done everything for us. It's your move. It's my move. He's not making another move. He's done it. And you can go as deep, as far, as long, as wide, as intimate as you could possibly imagine with Jesus. But it's your move next. You can leave tonight, I'm convinced, with a deeper revelation of who Jesus is, with a, with a, a, a spark in your heart towards something of a greater relationship with Him, of knowing Him better. But it's your move. Your move. And as the band keeps playing, I'm going to close our meeting right now. Thank you, Tim. That was a great word. Great word. I'm going to close the meeting now. And I declare God's blessing over you this week. That this week is great. That wherever you are, whenever you are, you're filled with courage to be like Jesus. And I invite you to join us on Friday at School of the Spirit. You need to get registered today for that.